Welcome to the Bank Leader Link podcast, sponsored by BOK Financial Institutions Group. The team at BOK, based in Milwaukee, is comprised of experienced bankers who have focused their entire careers on servicing community banks in the Midwest. BOK Financial Institutions Group provides services created over several decades to meet the evolving needs of your community bank. With BOK, financial institutions are not just getting one skilled, experienced investment professional. Rather, they are getting the benefit of a whole team of professionals who have a proven track record so you can be confident in the service and advice you receive. BOK offers solutions that result in long-term partnerships. They are a great partner with the IBA and with many banks. Look for the BOK team at the next IBA event you attend or reach out to BOK Financial Institutions Group at 866-440-6515 to start a conversation. Now it's my pleasure to introduce the host of the Bank Leader Link podcast, Randy Holkren, President and CEO of the Illinois Bankers Association. Listen to industry experts share the critical links you've been missing to prepare yourself for the future of banking. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Bank Leader Link. Thank you so much for joining us again. My name is Randy Holtgren. It is my great privilege to be the president and CEO of the Illinois Bankers Association. And I am so excited to have one of, honestly, one of our best friends, uh, someone that we call on all the time for advice, direction. We've got the John and John show, the Behringer-Geringer partnership that has been something that people look forward to so often at different events that we have. But John Behringer is joining us. John is the financial institution leader for RSM. He is risk consulting partner at RSM US LLP and the national leader of the financial institution sector for the firm. He's got more than 20 years of financial services experience and truly is recognized as a thought leader in credit risk and also the regulatory space. One of the things I love, John considers himself a banker who just happens to work in public accounting and has vast experience in risk consulting and a lot of different topics that banks and bankers struggle with. John also is a graduate from Northern Illinois University, kind of up in my home area up there, up in DeKalb, not too far from Wheaton where I grew up, but also got his master's MBA from the University of Illinois down in Champaign. John and his wife have two twin boys. So John, thank you. Good to see you. Good to be connected once again with you. Appreciate the friendship that we've got, but also the help that you provide so often to our bankers here in Illinois, but across the country as well. So welcome to the podcast. Hey, Randy, thank you so much, and and the feeling is mutual. IBA is an excellent partner for us at RSM, and and, and honestly, a great uh, advocate for our industry. And I say our industry because we are all really tied to it. And I said that to somebody once, and I'm glad it's kind of stuck, but it is true. I do feel like a banker who happens to work in public accounting because I also think I have a little bit of attention deficit disorder. So the best thing about being in public accounting and consulting is I get to kind of do what I really enjoy is doing at a bunch of different places. And I'm envious of folks who are able to kind of go to that bank and do that, serve that community every day is really a privilege and, and so excited that we're able to help them do that day in and day out. So, no, thanks for having me. That's awesome. Hey, John, real quick, maybe just in a couple minutes, yeah. tell me just a little bit more about your background, what brought you to this place at RSM. I'm happy to, Randy. It's funny, you mentioned my two alma maters, and I apparently like to go to school in the corn. So I'm a Chicago guy, <laughs> uh, and then sabbaticals to the corn. Went to the CPA factory known as NIU, and then later in my career, lucky enough to be 
part of the MBA program at U of I Champaign, and Great. both have taught me so much. It really helped me in how I show up every day for our clients. Really important and vibrant industry. So to be honest, came out of NIU and was like, I got to go into audit, right? Because that's what you do. You need to go into audit or tax. And so I went into audit. I wanted to go out and see clients. My whole career, I've really been, even my internship, I interned at Freddie Mac. I've always been attracted to financial services. I mean, part of it goes back to not loving counting inventory. I always you know, <laughs> joke with my colleagues at the firm, like, my client's inventory is in the vault. I can count it, and I know what it's worth. <laughs> Um, I've heard stories. I just, I was talking to a friend of mine from Utah and he was, he's an accountant and he talked about how January was like the time of counting inventory, like going out and uh, he'd have to climb up on like these cement tubes to count uh, inventory. He's like, okay, I'm done. So I think you were smart. Uh, It's a little easier counting uh, when it is in the vault rather than out in the warehouse. Yeah, or you're in the warehouse and they go, and I did do a couple of those. They're like, oh, that's this piece of equipment. It's worth $30,000. I'm looking at the checklist. It matches. Okay, like I know, I know how to count cash. So, in, in all seriousness, you know, I was an audit for uh, about the first ten years of my career, and then right before the financial crisis, it started to get more and more involved. After the Sarbanes Oxley Act, done a little bit of consulting to start helping clients around credit risk and credit review, and I really had a passion for that. I thought it was really the heart of the institution it is lending right our community bank and then unfortunately we had the financial crisis and so from you know my standpoint i got to learn so much working with clients and thankfully we're able to help and and assist some clients that were in some pretty dire Mm. regulatory positions given their credit issues and learned a lot Based on that work, the firm said, hey, John, we think your future is maybe more as a consultant, less of an auditor. I couldn't have agreed more because mm. I really like being able to just solve problems. Yep. As an auditor, you tend to kind of point out the problem. And then <laughs> we try to offer advice, but with the way the independence rules are in our yeah. industry, it's tough. So it was a great move for me and moved over and really broadened to really focus on in my kind of client deck, I'll call it, because I wear two hats. So in my client service role, spend a lot of time with clients on credit issues, still regulatory issues, but also the fun stuff I would say around that now where we're talking automation around lending, where we're talking about how can we manage or reduce risk, increase efficiencies, drive and really add value through second line and third line or second line risk management, third line internal audit. But then also I've got a couple of different leadership roles you mentioned. So I, I lead our FI practice nationally so work with my colleagues in audit tax and consulting and gives me a really good breadth of what we're seeing across the country and what i always say is we tend to see whether it's a regulatory trend or industry trend they tend to start on the coast and i'm sure you saw this in your time the various committees in congress right and then they tend to migrate to the middle right because those both coasts tend to have a little bit more concentration of larger institutions issues tend to kind of surface earlier and then it kind of spreads with even the regulatory agencies yeah. to the Midwest. So it gives me and really our whole firm a good perspective being able to serve banks across the U.S. and then bring back here to kind of my home turf those lessons. So I appreciate that about the national role and gives me perspective on all the other kind of interesting stuff, whether it's digital and crypto that's going on in the consulting space, whether it's automation, like I mentioned, and that's certainly been a a big point given the labor challenges in a lot of our markets. 
you know, how do we do more with less? And then certainly looking at kind of fintech as a movement as we talk about it. So that's how I got here. Uh, and like I said, every day is different, but it definitely involves banking, which makes me happy. Good. And it usually involves working with my colleagues and my clients, so getting to collaborate which also really kind of inspires me and drives me every day. That's awesome, and we're grateful. And again, I, I love that about you, of just the experience you've got, but also the passion to help people solve problems. Uh, I think that's fantastic and excited just to hear some more your perspective of the craziness that's going on right now. I mean, it really is uh, uncharted territory for many of us. We were talking about this before, where right. not a lot of people have worked through what we're working through right now. So yeah, I'd just love to get your thoughts. I mean, it feels like we're recording this and another yeah. 75 basis point increase here. We didn't have any movement for, I don't know, years and years and years. Now, all of a sudden, every right. meeting, uh, we're getting a pretty significant jump and even talk that it might be more significant jumps coming up. What do you think about all this? You know, there's fear still of recession. Inflation is still a real problem that many businesses and banks are feeling the crunch on that. So you just wonder how you're approaching yeah. things, how you're advising your clients in these times, what you're most optimistic about, what you're most pessimistic about. That's a great question, Randy, and a, and a, and a lot to unpack, but yep. you know, a couple of additional thoughts here, and then certainly feel free to follow up. But I think, again, I tend to put my head on and lean toward credit first. Yes. And, and I think the conversations we've been having with clients really for the last 18 months, we didn't have the crystal ball to look at and say, this is exactly when inflation will hit. But I think all of us who've been around the industry long enough and have some economics training know when you're kind of continuing soak, and in this case, it appears we're kind of over the monetary supply, you're going to end up with some inflationary pressure. And we've got, since really coming out of the financial crisis, to your point, what has been a very, not only benign credit cycle, yeah. but I would say really it's been buffeted by very low to no cost money. Yes. And so some of the rigor we need and what we've talked to clients about, talked to our banking clients about when we're looking at their portfolios is going through your stress testing now mm. and looking at who are those borrowers that haven't delevered that realistically aren't going to be able to debt service as we see their rates increase. And they really, you've been kind of subsidizing them with low cost funds. And they've not made some of the hard decisions around restructuring their business operations. And you need to talk about, is there a way to delever it? And if not, do we maybe need to move them out? And I know that's a little blasphemous maybe in what is a very challenging loan growth environment. But what I talk to clients and the CEOs and chief credit officers when they kind of push that back is, remember the two or three worst loans you dealt with in 7, 8, 9. Hmm. If you could have moved those out in 05 and 06, when you knew there were some cracks in the foundation, but somebody still would have probably taken them off, is there a better way you could have spent that time? And so I think it doesn't necessarily have to be move them out. Is there ways we can restructure the, the debt today, knowing where we're going to protect our organization and help the borrower? And if we can't get there, is it time to maybe look for some other alternatives? So I think that's one thing. I think the other is staying close to, you see the investment bankers talk about this a lot and it was a newer term i had to be refreshed on it because to your point we haven't had a raising rate environment in a long time yep. was this concept of beta right which is the difference between how quickly loans repriced yes. relative to deposit and we see this rate i'll call it hunger right from consumers looking for a little bit better yield so a lot of our and that we look at but the different economists are saying that beta is going to 
probably not be as long as we've typically seen if we don't look historically. So that kind of Goldilocks period of a really improved net interest margin, I'm sure to know how long that's going to last. So again, I think also looking around the organization and saying, what are the things we need to do that are going to help us be more efficient, to drive scale, to manage our expenses while managing risk, knowing that we might start to get squeezed sooner than we think at that interest margin while maintaining credit. So a lot of plates for our CEO, CFOs, leadership teams at banks to be spinning and for boards to really be monitoring right now. That's great. No, that's, that's super helpful. What kind of response are you getting back? Are they the people that you're consulting with, people, your clients, are they open to that? Are they taking good direction or is it a tough sell for them to, to take some of these challenging looks? That, no, you know, yeah, it's a great question, Randy. I would say for the most part, it's been very open dialogue. Good. On the credit piece, it's more, how do we start? Yes. Because like, they, they may even already be doing stress testing, but I always talk about, it feels like a lot of, particularly our community banks, they do the stress test because it checks the box for the regulators. They look at it and, and it's kind of like, so what, I call it. <laughs> and it needs to not be so what. It's really a great tool to identify. Yeah. And it should be a dynamic list of who are the five or ten and are there. And look, there may be some on there that you ultimately get to and say, we're good. We think this is a calculated risk. We're fine. We're going to monitor it. And if they stay in these bandwidths, we're good. But others, sometimes it's kind of eye-opening. So where we've spent time is helping them really think through what's their strategy and how to effectively design that stress test with the end in mind, which is to identify those five to 10 credits that pose the most risk in that scenario or that likely scenario. So we can get in front of it because if we can do it before, we're gonna have a lot more options than if we wait and then they're already kind of in a difficult spot. Now we get into, is it a troubled debt restructuring? Do we get into, and I always say, don't let the accounting drive what is fundamentally good economics on a transaction, but it inevitably does create things we need to think about from a regulatory standpoint and a reporting standpoint. So no, I would say generally positive. I do think our bank leadership teams are definitely starting to feel more of the uncertainty. And I think this is resonating more than when we were having these conversations even five months ago. And I think the other thing to not lose sight of, and this was a great article in the Wall Street Journal was talking about it, and I'm going to sure get the percentage wrong on the exact, but it's close. Something like 65 to 70% of current senior executives at all mid to large size businesses. So you could certainly, I think, extrapolate that down to small businesses and, and where our, our client or our banks, borrowers and, and customers sit. They've not been through a volatile rate cycle yeah. like this, have not been through inflation. And the risk of failure is just exponential in these scenarios because of that volatility. And you think about something, even the supply chain disruption, and okay, so for three months, my inventory's worth X. It always comes back to inventory, Randy. <laughs> and, uh, and now we've sold that, we got a bump on it, but by the time we paid for it, because we're getting hit with inflation, it's actually negative at the end there from an expense standpoint. How do I manage that? How do I think about that when I'm underwriting these customers? So I think part of it too is how can our banks educate their customers on these things and maybe be a little bit more proactive in helping yeah. them understand the impact on their business and things they can be doing to tighten up going into this, what is going to be a, a volatile cycle. Yeah. It's one of the things, again, that I, I love with my job with the association, but also just with relationships that we've got 
with wonderful organizations out there. And it's this message to bankers that you don't have to do this alone, that there's good people out there willing to help who have good experience and a different perspective that really want you to succeed. And I, I think I know that about you and I know that about your group and so grateful for that. And it's one of the big messages is, hey, reach out, use these great resources that we've got of, of industry experts, people who understand regulation and all these different challenges and no, you don't have to do it alone. So anyhow, love that. Hey, I'm going to shift real quick to a, three other yeah. risks. Uh, you pick any one of these that you'd <laughs> want to talk about if you want to. So I think there still is regulatory risk, you know, just not uh, uncertainty of kind of direction of regulators, CFPB. And we're still trying to figure out with the administration where this is all is going. So that's one. Cyber is another big risk that banks have to be thinking about. And then fintech, you know, that there's other unregulated entities out there that every day are looking to kind of steal, steal business away from banks and try and claim that they're just as safe or just as secure. Anyhow, any one of those three or all of those three would love just to kind of get a thought or two that you might have on what you think banks ought to be thinking about with these different risks. No, I appreciate that, Randy, and I would say, our, I, I'm going to go back to our marketing and communications team. We've developed these five mega trends we're building around. You just named three of the five, so we're very much aligned, yeah. and I would say all three are critical. I'm going to start with FinTech, and, and it'll honestly probably bleed into the other two a little bit because yeah. it feels like there's a lot of adjacency and overlap there, but happy to jump in on the others. We've coined this phrase FinTech as a movement, and if people are listening, you can go off to our, our website, rsmus.com, and, and look, we've got a whole section on that, and we're getting out and talking to clients, and this is really through a financial services lens, and, and so how we're organized at RSM. I've got one of the five sectors with banking and financial institutions, but we have specialty finance, which is very much at kind of the forefront of FinTech, particularly around kind of the non-traditional lending and the payments. We've got insurance with InsureTech and companies like Lemonade out there and kind of what they're doing around that. And then you've got asset management and cap markets, which have their, their own spin on it. And so what we really are focused on is not how do we serve with FinTech as a movement, those challenger institutions or organizations. It's really about what can we learn as state institutions and kind of the, the traditional legacy organization from what they're doing well. And, and can we view it as a way to learn? And if you look at a SOFI and you look at how they're kind of measuring their model, their business, because again, I think what you're finding with FinTech is there's high barriers to entry to a lot of our sectors within financial services, and particularly our, my sector and our sector, banking. And there's a lot of benefit in the regulatory, coming back to regulatory burden, when it's applied to those organizations yes. like it would be a bank or anywhere else, right. it's starting to do through this concept of regulatory arbitrage, mm -hmm. the financials don't look much different. In a lot of cases, we do better. Our legacy organizations yeah. do better. So I think of fintech as a way of how can we maybe fundamentally think about digital transformation of our organizations and yes. the fact that there are consumer preferences that are changing whether we like it or not. And the boomers are kind of, we're, they're the oldest generation now for the most part. Yeah. And how they interact with money and bank is completely different than how Gen Y does it and millennials. And so we've got to be thinking about how can we bring the best of both to them in a way that helps us not only survive, but really thrive as an industry. And so I think 
that's where fintech as a movement for me we can learn from and, and if you look at it the bulk of the funding that's come in and been allocated to fintech is around payments they do it really well okay banks do it well too but for different reasons so is there a way we can integrate the two and we benefit from from that as an industry and i think the answer is absolutely yes so i think you can't bury your head in the sand you want to understand what's going on you may conclude it's a no and look i we do this a lot with digital assets and crypto Jay Shulman, who's our national leader for that, and I do, a, I don't know, probably a dozen conversations a month, it feels like, with different community banks on what do they want to do. Yeah. Half say, no, we're not there, but now we know and our board can be informed. Right. The other half go, no, we're interested. We might dip our toe in. How might we go about that? Mm. And I think that's really what this is about is can we stay in front of it and understand the competitive forces that are going to disrupt our industry, whether we want to look at it that way or not. And so I think there is a lot of green space for our legacy and our, and our truly kind of core financial institutions to, to, to really make a positive impact in this new digital age, right? We're not, COVID accelerated yeah. what would have probably taken five to 10 years normally for digital transformation in our industry. We're not going to go back. So how, how do totally we agree. effectively, and what, where's your spot in that? Yeah, I'm amazed. I mean, my folks are 87 and would go to the bank at least once a day, it seemed like. And now they never go to the bank. I mean, everything they do on their phone or on their laptop. And it is incredible how things have changed, even for older generations, you know, that's just a, a different thing. And as I go visit a lot of banks, they're looking at how do we restructure our lobbies because we don't have the same traffic. There's also that all challenge I'm sure you hear about of hiring people that it's it's tough, especially teller positions and things. And so trying to figure out, okay, how do we make sure that we're using our space and our people to maximize needs that our customers have. So anyhow, it is, you're absolutely right how it has accelerated. We've gone through has brought on change so much faster than I think any of us could have expected. Yeah, I think, and again, I always come back to that underlying consumer preference, and this is no different, I'll draw the analogy, just to kind of the COVID, where we're at now, the early days, everybody went to Target or to the grocery store, and they brought stuff out to your car, put it in your back, curbside, pickup. I'm pretty sure my wife is not going away from curbside now that it's available. That's just kind of the expectation. And so for that, we got to bring that mindset to banking of our customers' expectations have changed. And like you said, Randy, my footprint probably doesn't need to be as big. So there's an opportunity to cost save. But then now can I allocate the technology to make myself more competitive, to scale, to do different things, and and maybe do more with less in terms of FTEs, not that we don't want to hire. It's just hard to find really good people that can do what we do. Uh, or what we need uh, from an industry standpoint. So yeah, no, totally agree. And, and one last note, yeah, because I, I didn't mean to pick on the boomers. No, it's good. It was funny. One of our, uh, the calls we did with the community bank, the CEO goes, I knew it was time to talk to you guys about digital assets when my dad, and his dad was in his 80s, told me he opened a Robinhood account and had bought a bunch of wow. Bitcoin. So he's like, we had clearly crossed the chasm. Because yep. he's like, this is the most conservative guy I know. So I knew at that point we needed to talk. So I thought that was pretty entertaining. He was all, he goes, my dad was educating me. He's like, I almost made it a YouTube video. He was all over. That's awesome. Well, 
our time goes by so fast. I can't believe how quickly it goes. I would love, you know, you mentioned crypto. We talked a little bit about uh, just cyber security. You all can be a resource for bankers on these things, can't you? Absolutely, Randy. Really, anything on the uh, the way we're structured as the fifth largest firm in the U.S., we've got resources that can scale from our local and community institutions to some of the largest in the country and, quite honestly, the world, but really across all things they need, kind of whether it's operational risk, where it's second line, ERM, GRC, whether it's internal audit, outsource, co-source, and then all the consulting specialties you mentioned, cyber, certainly digital and crypto is, is a, a place we've really differentiated ourselves and happy to talk about that. But then also automation, and we didn't even touch on that, but yeah. I've been having a lot of discussions, had the chance to present at the IBA conference in, in yes. Springfield in, in June on it, and yeah. they've had follow-up conversations with five banks great. just based on that 20-minute flash session. So really, I would say there's not something we probably haven't seen before and certainly can share our perspective on and, and welcome that opportunity with, with all the great members of the IBA. That's awesome. And I, again, I think the biggest mistake, and correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, biggest mistake, I would say, is uh, on all of these issues, for bankers not to lean into them and to say, a lot of these things are new, a lot of them are scary for all of us, yeah. we're learning every single day, but to recognize there's people out there who can help that want you to be successful, want you to have a plan that's gonna work for you and keep you strong and able to continue to serve customers for years to come. And you, I know, and your team at RSM absolutely are committed to your customers and giving them good advice and knowing that, hey, things are gonna continue to change, but the most important thing is to be engaged and make a plan, even though you know those plans are gonna have to change over time too. You know, and I think you hit it, Randy. I I think the one last piece of advice around that is don't put your head in the sand. And certainly yeah. what we bring is perspective like other firms, right? We have yeah. a chance to work with a lot of different institutions. We're not giving away anybody's secret sauce, but we can bring you what's going on out west, what's yeah. going on out east, what's going on great. you know, around here in the Great Lakes. And that perspective is really helpful because when you're going to the same organization every day, sometimes it's hard to overcome that bias. We're okay because this is in our neighborhood, right? And we need, we want to make sure because Uber started in New York, but I'd say a lot of different cab and other transportation companies got disrupted nationally yeah. over time there. So we want to make sure that doesn't happen here. That's great. And again, that is, I know, a huge help of learning what's happening in other places, realizing very likely things are going to come here. Well, like I said, things go way too fast. I would love just to talk more, but I know you're going to be around. I know you're available. Just tell us quickly, what's the best way if someone listening wanted to get a hold of you or your team, how would you recommend they do that? Yeah, absolutely. A couple of different ways. So certainly feel free to visit our website, rsmus.com, which will have a link to our financial services site, financial institutions. You'll see my contact information there as well and the firm as a whole. And certainly you can always find me at john.behringer, B-E-H-R-I-N-G-E-R, at rsmus.com. So, no, appreciate the time, Randy. Always a pleasure. Great conversation. And looking forward optimistically to what will be a challenging, but I think ultimately successful 2023 for our industry. I hope so too. And I believe it, you know, that uh, that I do think these challenges make us stronger, but also give us that opportunity yeah. to, to find ways to lock arms with others out there who are 
able and willing to help us succeed. So John, thank you. You're the best. Appreciate uh, the great friendship. Thank you for always being willing to take my call and also uh, to join us at so many of our events and conferences. You have really been a lifesaver in so many different ways for us. So we're grateful. Uh, John Berenger, again, uh, the financial institutions leader for RSM US and also a risk consulting partner, been our guest on the podcast today. John, thank you so much. And for everybody listening, thanks for joining us. And we'll look forward to talking to you all soon. Have a great day.